As, again, it's very good to be with you this morning, uh, team. We are indeed carrying on in the same series that the kids are doing, a series called Stacking Wood, hence the stack of wood there, as we put a, a piece of God's truth into our lives week by week. And, uh, you know, our world is full of hot takes on things. Uh, the news lasts for, for minutes, and then there's another cycle going on and all those sorts of things. Uh, but what we are, are doing here is really putting substantial things into our lives, things that will last. And this is cumulative, uh, as one question follows another question. So these bits go into our lives, uh, and they are waiting. Uh, they should stay there. Uh, and from them, uh, there will be indeed a foundation for our lives. And question seven uh, that we're at this morning asks us the question, what does the law of God require? And uh, our question, sorry, the adult's question, so to speak, uh, and answer is a little bit longer, yes, it's true, than the kids, but would you please read it with me? Uh, personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. And I acknowledge that the law of God can seem this uh, very impersonal thing, uh, but I don't think it is. And let me give you a quick example. Who has had cause recently to read the news or see something going on, maybe something going on around you, uh, that has, uh, you have felt the injustice, the wrongness of it? Anyone? Yeah, there's a little bit going on in the world, isn't there? Uh, and that absolutely relates to the law of God. It does. Or maybe getting a little bit more personal, who has had something, maybe just not recently, hopefully not just recently, uh, where you have been wronged. Maybe it's that experience, experience of gossip happening behind your back or being lied about, uh, being maligned, maybe something being stolen from you or indeed of being attacked, whether physically or verbally. Ever had that experience? Yeah, well, this relates to the law of God. It does. But let's get even more personal again. Who here has ever been the one doing the wrongdoing? That relates to the law of God as well. I want us to see that God's law applies to us, and it is indeed part of our experience. Actually, whether we're aware of it or whether we acknowledge it, it is indeed part of our experience. And we're going to look at God's law today in two parts two parts. Firstly, what God's law actually is, uh, sort of how we handle it, uh, because that is important, and how Jesus talked about it. I want us to lay a good foundation to be working from the sound, same foundation when we talk about God's law. Uh, secondly, I want us to look at three ways we commonly experience God's law in this world and in our lives. And this, I've got some props down here. A mirror, which I have to say is slightly amusing, isn't it, Rochelle, when you're sitting right here at the front? It's like a big rear view mirror. Uh, you can see people behind you down there. Anyway, that's not the point of it. Uh, a mirror. Uh, I actually have a horse's bridle. Thank you, David Tilliard, for lending me one. I didn't just have one at home. Uh, and I have a torch, a flashlight. Small. Surprisingly bright, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'll try not to shine that in your eyes. And we'll get to those in a moment. 
but especially important as we look at each of these is how Jesus changes our relationship uh, with God's law. Indeed, as He changes our relationship with God, He changes God, our relationship with God's law as something that can, uh, convicts us uh, and something that we fear to something that becomes internal to us and something that we delight in. Are you with me? Fantastic. Let's get into it. And so the word we read as law, at least in the Old Testament part of our Bibles, is usually this word Torah, Hebrew word Torah. Yes, it means law. That's often how we translate it. But it also has a lot of other meanings. There's you know, a range of meanings to it. It can mean instruction, direction, decrees, statutes, ways, and rules. And we looked at a little bit of these last week, if you were with us, as we considered Psalm 119 at the end of our message last week. And I start here because as we talk about the law of God, it wouldn't be wrong to talk about the instruction of God. And I think this is helpful for us because God's law is for us to give us directions. This is the way to go. That is not the way to go. Life is found here. Life is not found here. It is meant to help us. It is meant to guide us. Easy enough starting place but I don't want us to just think about it as a bunch of rules. It is instruction. And I think if you've ever been a parent, an auntie, an uncle, grandparent, or around children, you will understand this. Uh, There are rules, and then there is all of the heart, the meaning behind them, about why you pass them on. Because you actually want your kids to live. (laughs) You want them to be safe. You want them to flourish, don't you? And this is true of God's law as well. But one place that gets a little bit more tricky for us, and again, usually in regards to the Old Testament, uh, is that there are different parts to God's law. Uh, And a helpful way to see these are in three distinctions. I've mentioned these here before at St. Andrews. But there is a ceremonial or priestly part to God's law, and uh, that was for the priestly system of Israel in the past. Uh, So in the past, people would approach God through the priests. That was how God ordained it for that time, that situation, that nation. Uh, We would understand that doesn't apply now. That has changed, particularly because of Jesus There is also a civil part of God's law that we read about in the Old Testament. And that applied to the nation of Israel. And we would understand those don't strictly apply to our situation as well. We're not in the nation of Israel, even though we might be part of God's people spiritually. And then there is a moral part to the law, which we would say applies at at all times, just as God's holy... Holiness is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We would say that His holiness and His demands upon us, His people, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, these three parts, these three sort of divisions that I've outlined here, uh, they're a little bit artificial, but they are absolutely here. And the thing is, I think you do it all without thinking most of the time. When you read your Bible, you probably do this, without ever having this sort of breakdown in your mind. And let me give you an example, an example that does sort of apply to our time. It's an example I've had on my mind. Where's Greg Freighter? It's an example that Greg Freighter said, oh, there's probably something there, and it's been sitting on my mind, Greg. I blame you. (laughs) I mean that as a compliment. 
But in the book of Leviticus, don't know if you're reading through that currently, Leviticus 13, verses 1 to 46, there is a section which in my Bible is called Regulations About Defiling Skin Diseases. What a fun place to go in the Bible. I know. What do we do with this? But this section, and it's a longer section, right? It's quite a few verses, is about what to do when you get a defiling skin condition that spreads on you and it calls you, and I'm summarizing the verses here, but it calls you to go and show yourself to the priest who would check it out. They might say, that's nothing to worry about. Or they might say, look, you need to go and essentially quarantine. You need to isolate yourself for seven days and then come back to me. And I'm going to look at it again. And if it's, if it's changed positively, they'd say, you're good to go. Carry on with your life. But if it has changed for the worse, wow, that's when things get really serious. Because at that situation, you would indeed be removed from the community. You would have to leave the community for the sake of the community. That this spreading disease, rash spots, whatever it is, uh, not only spreads on you, but indeed spreads to others as well. Now, there's quite a lot to think about in this situation. It's very physical <laughs> sort of chapters, talking about spots and rashes and hair changing color and all these sorts of very physical things. There's lots to think about here. Let's think about for the moment. Here is the living God talking to his people and saying, when the situation arises, this is what you do. Now, could God heal all of these things? Yeah, absolutely he could. And at different times he has, and at different times today he does. But at the same time, skin conditions, sicknesses, disease, are a reality amongst the people of God. And we, just, we have to take precautions around them. Precautions not only for our sake, but particularly for the community's sake as well. But you know what? Let me ask you this point. Can you guess in my, oh, it's a good few years of ministry now as, as a pastor, can you guess how many people have come to me and said, Mike, I've got a rash I need to show you. Yeah, you know it, zero. No one has ever done that and rightly so because that's not the system we live under. That's not my role. And if someone did come to me like that, I'd say, oh, bother, you should go to your doctor. And you would understand why. But absolutely the part that does apply to this passage here is that we have a responsibility. Me, you, we have a responsibility that our sickness can have community effects. Our personal sickness can have community effects. There is nothing immoral about being sick. But if you spread that sickness, ooh, that's immoral. That is where you are doing something ungodly. Now, I want to be clear that in amongst this chapter, there is indeed, um, it's not the whole chapter actually, but in amongst this section, there is indeed the way that people can come back into the community. And you know what? This goes on today. My wife is American, if, if you know her. And before she could come to New Zealand for the first time, she had to get a whole bunch of health checks done, including getting her lungs uh, x-rayed for TB. Uh, now, I don't actually know the answer of if she had some you know, TB scarring there or something on her lungs. Would they allow her in? Don't know. 
But what's the thinking behind that? It's the New Zealand going, going you're an individual, but we're, we are responsible for this community. And so we're going to get you checked out. Isn't that understandable? Isn't that good? Isn't that right? And we would say it is. We would say it is. Now, while we live in a time of, yes, a pandemic, uh, there's a lot of other sickness and diseases that are around us, and not to take away from them for a moment, because they are real and they are serious, uh, there are far, far worse things that can get spread amongst us uh, than physical diseases. There are spiritual realities, and we need to be conscious about what we are sharing. Yes, you are an individual, but you live in a community. Yes, you are a Christian, and your faith with God, between you and God, is absolutely key, and then it immediately spills out to the community around you. This is the way you're designed. This is the way I'm designed. This is the way God has us live together, and we are meant to live together. Can you see... We read God's law, and it's not just about the commands. Not just about the commands necessarily here in Leviticus 13 about go show yourself to the priest. Don't turn up to show yourself to me. But it is also about what God is teaching us about each other and about our responsibility to each other. Amen? Yeah, I hope so, because we're carrying on either way. So how did Jesus relate to God's law? How did he treat it? We need to keep moving here. And the clearest place, uh, the clearest picture of this uh, would be at the start of the Sermon on the Mount when in Matthew 5 verse 17, Jesus tells us, do not think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, God's law, or the prophets, basically the whole Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not to abolish, but to fulfill to complete in every single way. Jesus had absolutely the highest respect for God's law. As it turns out, he was the one and only one who would actually fulfill it in every part. And indeed, he is the one and only one who's ever loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved us as well. But... He does then call us to fulfill God's law as well. The next section in the Sermon on the Mount, just after this, there's a few verses sort of about this, but the very next section after this uh, is probably fairly well known because Jesus starts it by saying, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, and he goes on to talk about your anger. And he's not saying, You've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, yeah, just murder. No. He takes God's law, this clear commandment that we have from the Ten Commandments, you have heard it said, do not murder. It's about more than murder, guys. You've got to think about your anger. Your anger, as he, he says in that passage, put you in danger of the fires of hell. He's actually taking this commandment, yes, this important commandment, not murdering is really good, place to start, isn't it? But he's applying it to our lives and saying, no, you've got to think about your anger where that murder comes from, that anger within your hearts. You've got to think, is that of God? Because that is how you will relate to the people around you. 
And yes, your words matter, Jesus says. Your words matter a lot. Yes, he is the one who fulfills God's law for you and I, fulfills it fully for us. But it then does call us to take it on, to follow him and fulfilling it in our lives and living as God's children. Jesus is wanting to put God's law from something outside of us to something inside of us, indeed into our hearts and mind. More on this in a little bit. But let's look at this foundation that we have now about God's law. God's law is, to start with, God's law. <laughs> it's his. Uh, it is from God. And it's his law, and we need to not forget that. Uh, his law shows us his character and holiness. And when we think about God's law, I really want to encourage you, think about it relationally. I know we, or at least I do, often think it, every time I hear the word law, I think about commands. Don't do this, do do this, which is true, but it is relational. It is about relating with God and relating with each other. Please don't lose that. Lastly, God's law is good. Uh, it's good because it's his law, but indeed it is good for us as well. Good that we might flourish and live well. Well, this is our foundation, and this is where I want to get to the next bit. Uh, three ways that we experience God's law. And I really hope that this will be helpful. I have certainly made, uh, found this helpful in my own life. Right. Horse's bridle. I'll be honest. I'm not a horse person. I don't even know if it goes that way. That way. That way it looks pretty good to me. Um, horse's bridle. What does this have to do about God's law? And this is not my concept. Someone came up with this years and years ago. Probably someone who rode a horse, admittedly. Um, a horse's bridle. It's for controlling a horse, isn't it? So the horses will, they don't always get their own way. Make sense? I think even if you're not a horse person, you can track with that one, can't you? And God's law indeed functions in our lives, particularly in our society, but also our families, your family, my family, a bit this way. God's law, and this is not about whether someone is a Christian or not. Uh, there are plenty, plenty of countries, including our own, which have laws which are based upon or reflect God's laws. Again, to come back to that one we had earlier, not murdering. You know, it's a really, really good starting place, isn't it? And as Christians, we would give that a thumbs up. That is a, a, good, a good law to have. That law not only protects from the evil of murder, but it upholds life as well. And whether or not you're a Christian, there is a blessing that comes from living under that law and others. And, you know, to bring it a little closer, uh, what about telling the truth? This is a, this is a bit of a, a hot one at the moment in my own family. Uh, one of my children particularly, who shall remain nameless, um, is struggling with this one and seemingly can just tell the lies just very, very naturally. <laughs> and uh, this is a problem. <laughs> this is quite a problem. And we're working on this. You know what? Uh, I pray for them every single day. But whether they are a Christian or not a Christian, my child, I mean, this is important for them to have. This will be a blessing to them. 
Do not lie. Tell the truth. Be a person of truth. That will be a blessing to you, and I'll tell you what, it'll help your relationships with people, won't it? Well, what about marriage? Uh, As Christians, we would absolutely say marriage is between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, uh, is absolutely God's design. But we would see marriage as not only for Christians. Marriage is a blessing to people, and certainly many people, men and women, who are not Christians, who have entered into marriage, and we would bless that and say, Amen. You might not acknowledge God, but you are living in some part according to His ways. And that is a good thing that is to be encouraged. We would bless that and hope it would be a blessing to you. Does that make sense? We can see this in a society. We can see this in our family as well. That God's law can act as a bridle. It can restrain evil and indeed point us in some ways to the way to live and help us to live rightly. Now, does this turn anyone into a Christian? It's an actual question. Does this turn anyone into a Christian? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's where the next part of God's law, the mirror, comes in. This is when uh, God's law acts as a mirror in our life. Now, it's the same law, but God's law acts as a mirror in our lives to show us who we truly are before God. And this uh, God's law is a different mirror than we are used to. Because God's law doesn't care about the makeup that we have or don't have. It doesn't actually care about our good deeds. God's law doesn't. It cares about showing us who God is and showing us who we are before Him. And when we look honestly at God and who we are, who we are before Him, our relationship to Him, uh, this can be a hard place to be. Because the God's law, God's law will point out our failings. Uh, it absolutely will. God's law will show us God's perfect holiness, and then it will highlight our faults and our sins. And it does this to humble us, but it does this to show us our need before God, that we might indeed reach out for a saviour, that we might reach out for Jesus. And you know what? I think this is really hard because, well, maybe I should ask before I go any further, who's had this experience of God's law? You draw near to God and you realize through his laws, his holiness, but you also recognize your failings. Had that experience? Yeah, I'm seeing some nodding. I really hope you have. Uh, Because it is an important experience. And it can be very tempting to look away from this mirror. It can be very tempting to turn this mirror away from ourselves. It can be very tempting to look away from God's mirror and to look at others and go, I'm not as bad as them. You know, I'm better than them. So, so that should be my standard before you, God. You know, you look down on them so you don't look so down on me. <laughs> and indeed, what we're really doing is bringing God down to our level. We're making God like us. It's funny enough, it's meant to be the other way around. God made us like himself. And that is what we have lost. 
And oh, it is a sad place that people, many people across the years, across the generations, have indeed looked into God's law, even growing up in what we might call a Christian society, a society with Christian values. And they've enjoyed those values, they've enjoyed the blessing of them. But to recognize that God's holiness and perfection is so far above what any society, ours or anyone else's, has achieved is really sad. Incredibly sad because we are bringing God down and diminishing Him. I think it's also tempting to smudge this mirror in some ways. But what I mean by that is, you know, you look at God's law as its demands upon your life and you just, oh, just smudge that part. Smudge that part. That part doesn't really apply to me. I'll just ignore those parts as well. Unfortunately, all of these would be to miss the truth of God's law in our lives that yes, it demands my, your personal, perfect and perpetual obedience. And none of us have it. We have to stand before God, it's true, But this test is not a scale. God's law is is not a scale. It's not like, well, I've done these ones, God, but I missed on those ones. God's law is pass or fail. And truth be told, we've all failed. All of us. This use of the law of God in our lives is, I would say personally, the most important. It absolutely involves the work of the Holy Spirit who I want to be clear, is never condemning, but yes, who is absolutely convicting. Convicting that we might look away from ourselves and indeed look to Jesus as our only hope in life and death. The law of God will be brutally honest with us. And that's bad news. Terminally bad. But it does also point us toward the good news, the great news that the way is open. One, one has fulfilled the law for us and he offers us his righteousness, his standing before God that we might have life eternally. Whoever will come, whoever. One of the things I personally love about the gospel, love talking about God's plan for salvation, is I don't care what you've done. God doesn't care what you've done. Oh, it might affect you, it might have affected other people, and that that is unfortunate, and that might even be serious. But he, he cares ultimately about what Jesus has done for you and I. And what great news that is to anyone. The way is open. Anyone can come. How wonderful. Whether it's an eight-year-old or an 88-year-old, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. Whether their sins are high or their sins are low or their sins are secret, it doesn't actually matter. It matters what Jesus has done and it matters whether they will take hold of him. Yes, the law is a mirror in our lives. Pretty harsh, pretty brutal mirror but a mirror that calls us to take hold of Jesus for who he is for us. Well, the last one, the law as a flashlight. Try not to shine it in too many people's eyes. 
that after we have come to God through Jesus and his righteousness, instead of trying to depend on our own righteousness, the law takes up a different place, a different role in our lives, in your life and in my life. It is the place of an eternal, internal, sorry, not an eternal, internal light in our lives. This guy here, with quite the hair, is called Matthew Henry. Uh, He's quite an interesting guy. He lived in the 17th century. He wrote a commentary, actually, on the whole Bible, which is no small task. Uh, He had nine kids. Uh, Apparently, by the age, I think it was about eight, he could write in Latin, and he was starting to read in Greek. I'm like, they built him different in those days, didn't they? Far out. But he, he said this of what we've been talking about, and particularly about God's law as a light in our lives. When the law of God is written in our hearts, our duty will become our delight. Let me say that again. When the law of God is written in our hearts, our duty will be our delight. And what he's hitting upon here is that at one stage in our lives, God's law is outside us, so to speak. It is a duty we are called to fulfill. It is God's demand upon our lives. And so even as we might fulfill it in part, it it always convicts us. I mean, yes, it guides us and it helps us in life, but it's always convicting us and showing us how we come up short before God. And indeed, the closer we get to God, the more we are aware of how far we fall short of him and his perfect holiness. The law is our duty and we can never fulfill it. But Jesus changes this. Jesus fulfills the law for us, and in doing so, he changes our relationship with God and with God's law. No longer is God our judge, but he is our father to receive us. And no longer is the law of God our duty. We can never, our, we can never fulfill, but now, ah, now it is something we want to fulfill and actually can fulfill. Not perfectly, Christ has done that. But we can fulfill it. And that's an important change, isn't it? That's a monumental change, and it's a change we're all meant to have. Hebrews 10 speaks of this change as God's plan all along. Uh, Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time says the Lord. And I love here how the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son are all working together here. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. This is a vision of God's law going from something external to internal. Then he adds, their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now this might sound astounding. Astounding. This might sound wonderful, but this is meant to be for all of us. For all of us. And it must happen that if we see, if you see what Jesus has done for you to fulfill God's law for you, this changes your relationship with God. It does. No longer is he just a judge that you would fear, but he is a father who will receive you. And it should write upon our hearts and minds that we now want to do, we want to live, we want to walk in his ways, we want to please him, and we can. We can. 
This is not to say that we will do God's laws perfectly. Uh, That would be a mistake. But it is to say that our relationship has changed. Laurie. I warned Laurie I was going to pick on him. He didn't know how I'm going to pick on him, but I'm picking on Laurie as an example for us all. Laurie, do you trust Jesus as your righteousness before God? You do. He nodded. Let me affirm. I'm very happy to hear this. Now, church, I'm talking to the rest of you, and I've got some questions for you. Please answer. Church, if Laurie has trusted Jesus for his righteousness, his right standing with God, is there any sacrifice remaining now for Laurie? Is there anything he needs to bring to God, give to God, to make himself right with God? Anything? No, there is not. So church, has God forgiven, forgiven and forgotten all of Laurie's sins and lawless acts? Has he? Yes, yes, he has. Church, one more question. So if there is nothing outstanding against Laurie, can they now fulfill God's law and please God? Yes, they can. And that is the remarkable thing. You see, previously, Laurie, he he might have been able to fulfill God's law in part, But his sin would always be outstanding against him and God. Always there. This mark, this lack, this debt against him. But with that debt wiped away, past, present, and future. One sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice for all time. Can Laurie, as a child of God, live for God and please him? Yes, he can. And you know what? As a child of God, that should be the most encouraging thing. You know what? I've got three children, and I wish they knew how I felt, the joy I felt when they pleased me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It warms my heart, lifts my heart so, so much. I loved them beforehand. They haven't increased my love for them. But I rejoice in them, seeing seeing them and living as they were meant to live. Yes, they are my children. You know what? They're God's children first, though, aren't they? And there is a joy to be had, brothers and sisters, in your life, in my life as well. Yes, God's law is big. You will never fulfill it perfectly in this world. But Jesus has done that for you. And in the security of that relationship, I'm sure someone, I don't know if they use the word security, but in the security of that relationship with God, are you not encouraged? Are you not built up? Do you not want to please God? Do you not want to be what he created you to be? I do, and I'm still working this out. And I will be for the rest of my life. But what a relief it is that I am him, his, and I can please him. And so can you. Oh, that that we would see God's law at work in our world. Oh, that we would see God's law at work in this world. 
not bringing condemnation, but yes, in people's lives, individuals' lives, convicting them and showing their need as we have discovered ourselves and how ready, how ready this holy God is to save them for himself, to make them his own and to call them into his family as he has called us. Don't we want that? He's given us a good law. And in his goodness, he has fulfilled it himself. And now he calls us to live as his children. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how good, how amazingly good you are to us. Yes, you show yourself to us. You show yourself to us in part. And your perfection, Lord, I think I want to diminish because it just seems too much. And truth be told, it is too much. So far above me and beyond me, it is more than I can do. It's more than any of us can do. But you don't diminish yourself. But you have lowered yourself for us. Yes, and Jesus, you have come down for us. You have fulfilled your own law because you knew it was the only way you could the only way you could bring us to yourself. And what a wonder your gospel is, your kindness to us is, that because of Jesus, any of us can come. Any of us with all of our backgrounds have come and anyone can come this day to you, trusting in you that they are not beyond your reach and that you are waiting, you are there, you are ready to receive them. You have done this all, all before they even knew you. Help us now to live in the joy of being your children. Indeed, that your law would fill our hearts and minds, that Holy Spirit, you would bring it within us and convict us where need be, that we might live more and more as your children and for your glory, we pray. Now and always. Amen.